0: Thanks for joining us this week for the Church at Starkey Hills podcast. Be sure to visit our website at starkey.church to find all the latest information and upcoming events. Amen, how about that for an opportunity to worship, amen? Well, we're gonna dive into a new thing that often the church is remiss in, in teaching about and, and speaking and preaching about, and that is a certainty for some and a question for others. And that is the reality of a place called heaven. And often you'll hear people preach about hell because Jesus spoke more about hell than He did heaven. And nobody really wants to go to heaven. If they they act like they do, they really uh, have some psychological issues. But everybody wants to believe in heaven, wants to believe in heaven. And I'll share some statistics here in just a few minutes. But we're going to learn about heaven for a few weeks because We live in a world, man, that is dark and it's good every now and then to take our eyes off of this old broken world and place them on another world that Jesus uh, certainly said exists and that He has gone to prepare for us. The title of this message today and this series is A Destination Worth Investigation. A Destination Worth Investigation. What the Bible Says About Heaven. Now, in 1971, An individual wrote a song. It would be the most successful solo song of his music career. And the individual was John Lennon, and the song was called Imagine. Now, the old people, like myself, will remember that song well. The words go like this, imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us, above us only sky. Imagine all the people living for today. And then it goes on, it says, imagine there's no countries it isn't hard to do. Nothing to kill or die for. And no religion, too. Imagine all the people living in peace. Now you may say that I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. I hope someday you'll join us and the world will be as one. Then he says this, Imagine no possessions. I wonder if you can. No need for greed or hunger. A brotherhood of man. Imagine all the people sharing all the world. You may say I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. I hope someday you'll join me and the world will live as one, that's 50 years ago, 50 years ago. And he dreamed of this utopian society. But the problem with a utopian society is it's in the mind of the individual who has a particular bias about what this utopian society should look like. However, I want you to know there is a utopian society that will exist. And Jesus is the one who is creating that as we speak. He's building this kingdom, this heaven, as we speak. And it will be occupied by those who embrace Jesus as Lord and Savior. Jesus said, as we've seen the last few weeks, John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. Now, what John Lennon in this song, what his his desire is, is to uh, erase some things that we know are real. And he says, imagine it. Well, it it does take an imagination to think about a a time and a place where heaven and hell doesn't exist. It does take an imagination to do that because heaven and hell do exist according to the infallible, inerrant, timeless Word of God. And, And so once we move past the idea of imagining its non-existence, then we can realize that it really does exist. Now, About nine years after this song, John Lennon would find out the reality of heaven and hell. Because about nine years after the song was written, he lived in New York and and he was worth, which is funny that he would write this song, his estimated net worth at, at, at his murder was $600 million. And if he was so excited about no possessions, I don't know why he had so many. But he would die, he would be brutally murdered in the streets of New York about nine years after he wrote this song. So John Lennon would have realized at that point, there is a real heaven and a real hell. And if we could communicate to John Lennon today, we'd say, we could say, John, listen, what you thought of our world here, uh, 50 years later, 40 years later, is, is much more like what you dreamed of. People who, who uh, try to erase heaven and hell people who are Marxists and socialists who want to embrace a one world, a culture where everybody is the same. But this utopian society will never exist developed and articulated from the mind and the heart of mankind. It only exists when God says it exists and He tells us about the moment and about the time when it will exist. Now in the same time frame when this song called Imagine, a song trying to erase Heaven and Hell was written. Another song hit the market and, and it was excited about living like hell and heading to hell. Some of you may remember in 1979 an individual named Bon Scott. If you have heard the name Bon Scott, blow your horn. <laughs> I'm glad everybody didn't blow your horn. All right, That was the lead singer for ACDC. Bon Scott and his, and his band wrote a song called highway to hell. His song was not quite as uh, sweet and pleasant as imagined. His song would would sound like this. Imagine, excuse me, living easy, living free. Season ticket on a one-way ride. Asking nothing, leave me be, taking everything in my stride. Don't need reason and don't need rhyme. Ain't nothing I'd rather do. Going down, it's party time. My friends are going to be there too. Then he goes on, he says, I'm on a highway to hell, on a highway to hell, highway to hell, I'm on a highway to hell. Then he goes to verse two, no stop signs and no speed limits. Nobody's gonna slow me down. Like a wheel gonna spin it. Nobody's gonna mess me around. Hey Satan, I'm paying my dues, playing in a rocking band. Hey mama, look at me. I'm on the way to the promised land. So here is a band, here's a song that doesn't try to erase heaven and hell. They make fun of the place called hell and are excited about living that way, headed in that direction. Well, just like John Lennon, a short time after this song, for him about a year after this song was released and made them millions of dollars, Bon Scott would be found in a car, totally wasted on alcohol, dead either from choking on his own vomit or freezing to death. And so often when people embrace the idea and move away from God's original intent and the truth of His Word, they gradually decline into a place where they never intended to go. And so even today, we live in a world, you know, that screams for this perfect utopian existence. This place where there's peace and equality and everything is as It should be, but the truth is it won't be, not because we don't desire it to be. It won't be because it cannot be, because this world is not broken. This world is not racist. This world is not uh, economically separated or socially separated because of, of our desire to make it better. It's all broken because this world has a condition bigger than an attitude change, bigger than a mindset change. This world is broken because in Genesis 3, mankind and all of creation fell, and when it fell under the sin curse, it fell far, and it landed hard, and it's still broken. But now listen, even in the midst of the broken condition. There's still something within us that longs for something better, that, that, that desires and hopes and dreams of something good. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 11 it says, He, God, has made everything appropriate in its time, and God also set eternity in their heart. You see, there's something in you, that God placed in you that thinks and ponders about the future, about what's out there on the other side. In Romans chapter 8, verse 22, it says, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Scripture is saying that when the earth fell, even nature groans for restoration. Even the birds chirp for restoration. All of creation longs to be healed and unbroken. Now that's the beauty of this mini-series that we're launching into because heaven is that. Heaven is complete redemption and restoration, not just of us as individuals, but of all of creation. I mean, the whole world, the animal kingdom, the the nature itself, the weather, all will be redeemed and restored. And we're going to see that over the next few weeks. So church, it's important that we know what we believe. It's important that we know what we believe is based on biblical truth. Because there's a lot of ideas conjured up out there about what heaven is and we need to know what god has to say about it now if 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 we're going to understand our eternal destination options then we need to ask someone who knows if i want to know what some place is like uh, we have guests here who have homes have a home here in Tennessee and also in Texas. We have guests here today who are coming from California and are moving to Tennessee. If I want to know about California, I would be well served to talk to my friends from California. If I want to know about Texas, I would be well served to talk to somebody who has lived in Texas. If I want to know something about heaven, it would be good for me to listen to someone who has lived in heaven, that person is Jesus. And Jesus has much to say about heaven. And so that's what we'll be looking at over the next few weeks. Now, there's much we don't know about heaven because God hasn't told us. But there's much we don't know about God because He hasn't told us that either. But in God's Word, god has told us everything we need to know but not everything there is to know because we can't contain all that there is to know number one and number two we haven't really done well by what it is he's told us we need to know and so as we look in god's word to understand about heaven it's important that we listen closely to what he says because that's all that really matters when it comes to the idea of heaven or any other conversation or topic we would like to discuss. Now, the world, our world, America, wants to believe in heaven. They, they still want to believe in heaven. Now, the last Gallup poll, Gallup is a polling organization, and, and in 2004, they surveyed America to find out what we, America, believe about heaven. It was in 2004, and I would venture to say these numbers have moved since that time, but the last numbers are this. In 2004, the question was, do you believe in heaven? 81% of those surveyed believed in heaven. 8% were unsure and 11% do not believe in heaven. Now, out of those, it breaks down like this. 98% of those who attend worship weekly believed in heaven. Those regular attenders, 89% believed. And for non-churchgoers, only 64% believed. Now, I'll make a point right here. And I I want to honor you and I want to encourage you. I've had conversations this week, three different pastors whose attendance in their church through this pandemic has hovered around 40 or 50 percent in attendance, no matter what they did. Online, drive in, try to open up their doors. We run 80, 85 percent attendance. You all are so faithful coming and sitting in your cars. And, And God honors that. And he will bless you and your family because of that. Because you have demonstrated to God, I'm not letting a pandemic. I'm not letting a world crisis interfere with the one, my relationship with the one who holds the world in the palm of his hand. And attendance is significant. When you look at these numbers, you see them decline as we become less faithful, coming together as God's people. Let's keep moving. 90% of Republicans believe in heaven. 82% of Democrats believe in heaven. 89% of non-whites believe in heaven, 80% of the whites believe in heaven. And so if you watch the news, you would agree, it seems like nobody really believes in heaven or afterlife or or God. It seems that way sometimes, but sometimes what we see on TV is not a picture of, of the greater whole. And so we have to be careful because if we're not, we become a little bit sidetracked we find ourselves lost in the bushes or the weeds talking about things that may or may not even be a reality so at the end of this series my goal and i think the goal of god is for you as a believer in god someone who has a relationship with god through jesus his son i believe god would want you to be excited about heaven to be encouraged by heaven, to know your future home and be familiar with it so much that you could encourage others through your conversations. So why is it then that people, even in the surveys, don't accept God's word as a whole, but they choose to believe parts of it like heaven? Because the idea of heaven comforts and tempers the reality of something that we all face and that's death the idea of a better life after this life is comforting you you have to do you agree with that blow your horn it is it is and so we want to believe there's a heaven because we in in our being we look around and we're like there's no way when we die we simply disappear into oblivion. There, there's no way we move into some non-existent state because our soul, our spirit, our personality, our physical being, there's something bigger, something significant about our existence in this thing called life. And when the dust settles, we all realize, hope, hopefully you realize that the mortality rate for human beings is 100%. We do not get out of here alive, right? It is a death has a 1 to 1 ratio, okay? Everybody who lives dies. And it's real and so we don't like that. You don't even like me reminding you of that, but it's real. And so at the end of the day, the thought of a heaven, that's bigger and greater and more grand and majestic than even this world on its best day in its best location is. There's something encouraging about that. And even for somebody who denies God, even for someone who denies Jesus as Lord and Savior, even those accept heaven because many people think I'm, I'm better I'm gooder than I am badder. I am a better person than I am a worse person. I make more good decisions than I do bad decisions. And so a God who created everything surely would afford me someplace after this life. And I would deserve it because when you put my deeds in the scale, I am a good person at the core. So everybody wants to embrace the idea. Now, we've all heard probably about the Sunday school teacher teaching fourth grade, and, and the teacher says, who, who all in here would like to go to heaven? And everybody raised their hand, but there was one little boy. He didn't raise his hand, so the teacher asked him, do, do you not want to go to heaven? He said, well, yeah, but I thought you were getting up a load for now. And, and, and that's the way we are. We, we want to go to heaven, but we don't, don't necessarily want to go like right now. I, I can tell you how many conversations I've had when people will say, yeah man i I, I get excited about heaven yeah it sure does change the way i look at this life but it always lands like this but i don't i don't really want to go like today you know because we all feel like if we have one more day we'll enjoy this life a bit more and then heaven will come i hope we get to a place where we anticipate and we are excited More about heaven than we are about this life that we live in. More excited about then than we are now. You see, the devil knows the more earthly minded we are, the less heavenly effective we will be. Do you get that? The more we focus on this world, the less we focus on that. The more we dive in to this world, the less effective we are for that world. And so I believe God wants us to get to a place where we're excited about heaven. So I want you to look at the person sitting about four to six feet away from you. I want you to tell them, heaven is real. Now I want you to tell them, heaven is real good. Now I want you to tell them, heaven is really excited about our arrival there now i want you to tell them there is no covid in heaven tell them there is no racism in heaven tell them there is no hunger in heaven now tell them why because there is no sin in heaven now i want you to tell them this i want you to look right at them and say I want you to be sure that you're going to heaven. A destination worth investigation. Back in John 14, where we left off, last week Jesus introduced His disciples and us to the best Father ever. Jesus said in John 14, He said, in this, in their world, which was the, much more difficult than this world, in their world on the night that, that Judas would betray Jesus, on the night that Peter would deny Jesus three times, on the eve before Jesus would be brutally beaten, a crown of thorns placed on his brow, nailed to a tree, hung to die, it was in that atmosphere under Roman rulership and religious hypocrisy. It was in that world that he said, Jesus said, hey, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. And then he says this thing, I go and prepare a place for you. If, if it were not so, I would have told you. Now, 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 he then goes on to why we can have so much hope in that despair. And it is because He introduces us to the Father. Now, He and the Father have been in the process of building this amazing place called heaven for 2,000 years. So here's what we can learn. Number one, heaven is a big deal. Heaven is a big deal. How big is heaven? How big is it? Have you ever thought about that? The Bible tells us. The Bible tells us much about how big a deal heaven is. In fact, we are introduced to the idea of heaven in the very first word, a verse, first verse, of God's eternal counsel. Genesis 1:1. Most of us have read it many, many times, at least almost once a year, when we start our new reading plan for the year, where we're gonna read through the Bible in a year, And we'll often start Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Before the earth that we know, which is amazing, was even created, God created the heavens. And it's a big deal. The very first thing that God said He did was created the heavens. And so, I want you to know today, heaven currently has three very distinct parts. Heaven number one. Heaven number one is the air we breathe. Heaven number one is the sky that the birds fly in. That's heaven number one. In Genesis 1 verse 6, it says, Then God said, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. God made the expanse and he separated the waters which were below the expanse from the waters which were above the expanse, and it was so. God called the expanse, here it is, heaven, and there was evening and there was morning a second day." So in Genesis 1-1, it says, in the beginning God created the heavens, plural, shamayim is the Hebrew word heavens, and it has a plural context. And some would say, well, it's plural because he's just talking about how big heaven is. I don't think so. As you read the full counsel of God's word, he divides heaven into three parts. And heaven number one is the air we breathe and the sky that the birds fly in. It is the expanse between the upper and this earth. You see, when this earth was created, if we read it, we find out it was completely covered in water. It was void and dark. Uh, and and God separated the waters from the waters. Now many believe that what God did is He took and built a liquid, a water canopy all around the globe. So you had the earth, which still contained some water, both within and on its surface. And now you had land mass exposed. Many believe that it was surrounded by a vapor or water canopy. That's why they believe many in the Old Testament would live hundreds, and hundreds of years because they didn't. It's why dinosaurs, the, pre, pre, uh, the prehistoric animals, lived so long and grew so large because ultraviolet light didn't decay and destroy their body. And that canopy would exist until the day of the flood when God burst the canopy and opened the earth and, flo- uh, opened the earth and flooded the globe. And so heaven, number one, is the air that we breathe The place where the birds take flight. Heaven number two would be the celestial realm. It is the real estate of the galaxies. The billions of stars suspended in the billions of galaxies. It's the place where our satellites orbit. The place that determines your sign and your lottery number if you are into that business. That is heaven number 2 outer space Hebrews chapter 11 verse 12 speaks into this it says as many descendants as the stars of the heaven in number Genesis 1:16 says then God made two great lights the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and I love this part he says and he made the stars also Now in the creation account God speaks the galaxies of the universe into existence. Uh, we find out in Psalms that he has numbered and named all of the stars, the billions of stars in the billions of galaxies, and he's ca- he causes them to shine. He has a purpose for them. He takes account of them. He, he keeps up with them. And, and yet in this scripture, he says, in this heaven number two, he created the two great lights, one for day and one for night and then he says and he made the other stars also i just think that's good now hubble telescope will tell you uh, excuse me the engineers who built and maintain the hubble telescope will tell you that now with the technology they have they estimate 100 billion galaxies in the universe and they expect the number will increase as technology improves, and there could be 200 billion galaxies with billions and billions of stars in each one of those galaxies. So you have heaven one, where we're hanging out, the air we breathe. You have heaven two, the one that you look up at night and see the moon in, the one you look up on a clear day and see the sun hanging in. Then you have heaven number three. Heaven number three is the abode, the home, the dwelling place of God, the place of His forever throne, of His eternal existence. And we'll talk about where that's at in a couple of weeks because that's always a good question. Second Corinthians chapter 12 beginning in verse 2 says, I know a man, this is Paul speaking, he says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body, I do not know, or out of the body, I do not know. But God knows, and such a man was caught up into, listen, the third heaven. Even Paul in Corinthians, he identifies it as heaven number three. He says, I was caught up into the third heaven, and I know how such a man whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know. But God knows, was caught up in paradise. That's how he describes it. And he heard inexpressible words, which a man is not permitted to speak. Paul says, listen, I took a trip. He's referring to himself. He says, I know a man who 14 years ago got sucked up off this planet. Now, I don't know if I was in the body or not in the body, but I went. And when I got there, I saw paradise. And what I heard are inexpressible words, words that I am not allowed to share with you today. And so we start getting a glimpse, one of the reality, two of the vastness, three of the separating and defining sections, four of the grand, the grandeur and the greatness of this place called heaven. Now, Revelation 4, we gain a little bit more information. It says in verse 1, After these things, this is John, the one who wrote this gospel, was located on the isle called Patmos. He was exiled because of his faith and testimony for Jesus. He's on this rocky island. And he says, After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I had heard, like the sound of a trumpet speaking with me, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after these things. Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was standing in heaven and one sitting on the throne. John, this same author of the Gospel of John, John, the author of the epistles, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, this same John got a glimpse of forever. And he writes the book of the revelation, the book of the future. So seven, uh, heaven has three very distinct parts, air, outer space, and God's home. So the next question we want to know about this heaven is a good question. How big is heaven? How big is heaven? Well, if we want to know, why don't we talk to the architect? Why don't we talk to the contractor? Why don't we talk to the one who has boots on the ground every day, building, manufacturing, designing, and putting together this place? Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. 2,000 years ago, he started preparing a place. Now, let me pause because I get a little excited. I am a child of God, not because I deserve it. I'm a child of God, not because of something I've done. I am a child of God because the God who created me chose to love me enough to come to this earth and die in my place on a cross to pay my sin debt. And when I received that gift of grace, He sealed me with His Holy Spirit and adopted me into His kingdom forever. I just, I can't get over that. I can't. I cannot get over the fact that God would do that for somebody like me. I don't know you so much, I know me really well. I can't imagine that God would love this man that much. So when he adopted me, he brought me into his kingdom as his own. And 2000 years ago, he began preparing a place designed just for me. Now, now, if you're saved, he, He's got a place for you. But the place for you is not the same place that He's preparing for me. My place has my name on it. My place has my design in it. My place is prepared just for the one He created me to be. And now He'll allow me to occupy, occupy the place He has prepared for me. Let's, so how big is this place? Because I, I do. I would say this it's not as big as some people think it needs to be because there's a whole lot of people ain't going and it's not because of me or you it's because they've never embraced jesus as savior so they don't have a place waiting for them they've never been adopted into the kingdom so how big is it how big does it need to be well the bible tells us in revelation 21 this same john who wrote this gospel revelation 21 beginning in verse 15 John is still hearing from God, he's still seeing heaven. Jesus is still speaking to him. He says the angel who spoke to me had a golden measuring rod with which to measure the city and its foundation, the stones and the wall. Now the city is laid out as a square. I want you to listen. I want you to begin to let your mind see a picture of this. He says Heaven is laid out like a square. In a minute we'll find out it's actually a cube. He says it's laid out like a square. And the angel is going to measure it now. It says the angel measured the city with the measuring rod. And it was 1,400 miles. Its length and width and height are equal. You got it? 1,400 miles long, wide, and tall. It's a heavenly cube, all right? Now, let's unpack that. So, excuse me, then he goes on, he says he also measured its wall, 144 cubits according to the human measurement, which is also the angels. He, He says, I'm measuring it with angelic measurements, but it's the same measurements that you have on earth. Just so you know, he's not talking about some spiritual realm that doesn't exist. It is a physical realm with physical dimensions. So how big is 1,400 miles by 1,400 miles? It's about 2 million square miles. 2 million square miles. How big is 2 million square miles? Well, just to get a picture of it, New York is about 305 square miles, okay? New York has 10 million residents running around, wearing a mask, swinging a sign, carrying a TV, whatever they're doing in New York, okay? Now, 10 million of them on 305 square miles. Heaven is about is about two million square miles, but it's not over. Because you could say, well, okay, 305 square miles, you divide two million by 305, multiply that times 10 million, that's about how many could live there and it would feel like you living in New York. No, that's not what we're saying. Let's continue. If you'll remember, it's 1400 miles tall, okay? So the tallest building in the world is in Dubai. And it is 162 stories or floors. A 1,400-mile building will give you 660,000 floors. You start getting a picture of heaven, it's a really big deal. It's a really big deal. Verse, excuse me, so 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 how many people can hang out in heaven? One mathematician did the work and he suggests that a cube this size 1400 miles by 1400 miles by 1400 miles tall it could host 20 billion residents each having 75 acres of land and still allow room for parks and roads ain't that cool ain't that cool some of you all dream of having a little property because now like if you live in this subdivision over here you purchase a postage stamp with a house sitting on it okay i'm looking for a day when you don't even own the postage stamp they just put your house on there all right and just tie them all together and so people start saying yeah i'd like to have a little land well let me just go ahead and tell you it ain't that good Okay? Because if you've got a little land, you've got a lot of maintenance. All right? Now, here's what's cool. Let's just pr- suppose this mathematician is right, and your heaven includes 75 acres. It's 75 perfect redeemed acres. There will be no thorns and thistles and weeds in that kingdom. It's a different kingdom, it's a different piece of property, it's a different home, it's a different place. And so, we have a reason to be excited. Now I just covered point one, and it's five after nine. So I'm just gonna have to invite y'all to come back next week to get point number two. But I want you to know this before we leave. There is a very real heaven. And there is a very real hell. And you and I are very real people and Jesus was a very real man and when Jesus spoke about preparing a place he was a real man talking about a real place and one day all of us have an existence in a real place either heaven or hell and our existence will be a really long time, eternal. And there is no redos. There is no makeup. There is no do-over. What we inherit as our forever home hinges on what we do with what His Word says is our only access into heaven. We have one access into heaven. We have multiple accesses to the kingdom called hell. And I would not be a loving pastor or friend or Christian if I didn't tell you your eternity hinges on what you do with Jesus. I want you to join me as we pray. I want you to be certain that you have made your reservation in the kingdom that most everybody desires to believe in i want you to be certain of your reservation in the place that we all kind of dream of this perfect peaceful blissful land of utopian existence it it exists and jesus is the way father i come to you i thank you for your word I thank you that you have told us everything we need to know. And as we continue to unpack this place called heaven, it is my desire personally that I will become more and more in love with what you've got in store for me than I am with what you have already provided for me. But it is also my heart's desire that those that I have the honor and the privilege to teach and to pastor and to lead, that they will fall madly in love with you, madly in love with with the provision you've made through Jesus to give us access to you, and madly in love with our eternal home that you've been preparing for 2,000 years called heaven, so much so that we won't focus so much on this old broken world, but we'll focus on the better world you have in store for those who will be in your kingdom. We love you, we thank you, We praise you and we pray in Jesus' name. And those who know Him said amen. Thank you so much for being here this morning. I love you. I appreciate you coming out every week and joining us. And with that, you be blessed. Have a wonderful week. And if you need anything from us, you let us know. As you leave, you can get the sheets to tell you what school supplies to purchase. Also, turn in those surveys as you leave. God bless you. Have a wonderful week. We hope that God spoke to you through this message. If you enjoyed the message, be sure to subscribe to our weekly podcast and visit our website at sturkey.church to find all the latest information and upcoming events. Be sure to join us again next week. Until then, may God bless you.